Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are going to move along in our study through the book of the Revelation, and we are going to concentrate tonight on one of the seven letters to the churches as the Lord ordained these letters to be sent we're going to look at the church at Thyatira tonight Revelation chapter 2 take your Bible turn there with me Uh, of course as you know the book of the Revelation was written by the Apostle John he was the longest lived of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his preaching of the love of God and the salvation of Christ he ended up Uh, in punishment under the Roman government and he ended up in the Alcatraz of his day which was the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea and that of course was a prison island and one Lord's Day according to the Word of God in the book of Revelation on a Sunday John is visited by God and John sees an awesome powerful vision of the Lord Jesus Christ And he is so overcome and overwhelmed by this vision that he falls at Jesus' feet in fear. And yet Jesus lays his hand on John. And I remind you that though decades had passed, that that touch of Jesus laying his hand on John was a very familiar touch because they had touched many times in the ministry of Jesus as John followed him as a disciple. John was the one who laid his head on the chest of Jesus Uh, during that wonderful meal that they shared together but Jesus lays his hand on John tells him not to fear but rather he gives John an assignment he says I want you to do three things and these are the three things that serve as the outline of the book of the Revelation number one write your vision of the Lord Jesus Christ that is contained in chapter one and then in chapters two and three the second part of what John is to do is to write the Lord's words in the form of a letter to each of the seven churches of Asia Minor and so that was the second assignment and those are in chapters 2 and 3 and then finally the third segment of the book of the Revelation Jesus tells John to write the prophecy of God as he dictates it for our future and that is contained in chapters 4 through 22 of the book we are in the middle of the second division of the book in that we're studying the seven letters to the seven churches in John's present day those churches were in existence in the day that John writes these letters uh, to the churches and what we know as our present-day Turkey Asia Minor and we have looked at Ephesus if you remember the main point about the church at Ephesus the Lord tells the congregation at Ephesus that they need to come back to their first love they had left their first love though their church was doing well according to the letter yet their passion for the Lord Jesus had died down they had left him as their first love so the Lord says return to me repent and return that I will be your first love the second letter is the letter to Smyrna and if you remember this is one of the two churches that have no words of condemnation against them but rather Smyrna is the church that was witnessing in the midst of horrible persecution and the Lord tells them to stay strong to stay steady 
and that he will carry them on. And then the third letter that we studied is the letter to the church at Pergamos. And this is the church that had stepped back from Jesus and was allowing the world to come into the church. They were compromising their church by allowing the world to come in. Now tonight, the fourth church that we study uh, is faced with inner corruption. And that corruption is largely brought into the church by one lost person who had a foothold of leadership in the church. This church is Thyatira. Now, before we open the letter tonight, let me give you a thumbnail sketch of this city of Thyatira. Thyatira was not a normal city in the day in which it existed. It was not normal in that its geographical location was very unusual. Most large cities were built somewhere on a hill, somewhere that offered a natural defense system so that anyone who would invade the city had to climb up the hill and perhaps over the walls around the city so there was a natural defense system for the city that was built on a hill. Uh, Jerusalem was one of those cities, built high, so that invaders could be seen from a long distance. Thyatira, however, was situated in a valley, very unusual for a large city. This valley uh, ran from Pergamos to Sardis. So, in other words, Thyatira had no natural defense system. They couldn't see invaders coming from a distance, and Thyatira had a long history of being destroyed and rebuilt, and destroyed and rebuilt. It's amazing that they continued to rebuild this city in a valley, but they did. It was a very rich city. It was a city that had a great deal of trade coming to and going from the city. Now, some of the things produced in Thyatira, and I think this is on your sheet, some of the things produced were pottery, tanned leather, woven cloth, and beautiful robes. But there was one great industry that overshadowed all the industries in Thyatira. Thyatira was well known for dyeing cloth into a royal purple. The color purple was associated with the city of Thyatira. Now, write down this reference, and you can read it a little later. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. If you remember, the Apostle Paul went to the continent of Europe, and his first stop on the European continent was in the city of Philippi. And it was there that he met a woman whose name was Lydia. And it tells us in the book of Acts that she had come from Thyatira, and that she was actually selling purple cloth in the city of Philippi. And if you also remember your biblical history, you will remember that Lydia was the first convert to the Christian faith on the European continent. And that came through the ministry of Paul. But she was a sales representative that traveled selling this fine purple cloth that was dyed in the city of Thyatira. Now, Tonight we're going to look at the letter. It is addressed to the angel or the messenger, perhaps the pastor of the church of Thyatira. So if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 29. This is a rather long letter. As we begin with verse 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As we begin the letter, these things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Jesus' eyes are always searching out his church. Jesus' eyes are always searching out his people to see in us how we live for him, how we have surrendered him, how our lives belong to him. His eyes are always searching out his church and his people. You know, the picture of Jesus goes far, far beyond that little Santa Claus song that says, he sees you when you're sleeping and he sees you when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. It goes far, far beyond that. That's just kind of an outward thing of what supposedly Santa Claus sees. But Jesus doesn't just see the outward actions of our lives, but rather he sees us inwardly according to Psalm 139 he knows our very thoughts he knows the words even before they arrive on our tongues now I know this is on your sheet his eyes search you and me for outward purity and inward faithfulness the Lord's search is for those things in our lives chapter 2 verse 23 it says that God searches our reins and our hearts. What does that mean? Well, you know what it means for the Lord to search your heart. What does it mean for him to search your reins? R-E-I-N-S. The Greek word for reins is nephros, and it means your kidneys. So it says that the Lord searches out our heart and our kidneys. And basically what that verse is saying and this is according to the vernacular of the day, that 
the Lord understands our most inward parts. The Lord understands us from the inside outward. He understands our thoughts. He understands our intentions. He understands our motivations. So the world sees us from the outside, but the Lord begins his search of us from the inside outward. You know, as the pastors of this church and Sunday school teachers, we, we try to keep an eye on the church, keep an eye on what's happening in the church and how we can best reach out to people's lives. But of course, as human beings, things fall through the cracks. But with Jesus, he perfectly and ceaselessly searches us for godliness. Then also it says that his feet are like brass. And that symbolizes judgment and even chastening upon the church that he loves, the church that he founded. He is quick to discipline his church, especially when his church falls away from him in ministry. You do remember in the letter that the Lord sends to the church at Ephesus, the Lord says, you're doing a mighty work in Ephesus, and yet he says, you've left me as your first love. If you do not repent and return back to me as your first love, You're going to have a severe chastening, even to the point of closing your doors. The Lord maintains discipline upon his church, and we fall under that discipline. He is watching us day by day. Now, in one verse, verse 19, Jesus gives his commendation to the church at Thyatira. It's in one verse, but this one verse has six positive traits of the church of Thyatira. Let's go through them one by one. Number one, he says, <clears throat> I know thy works. These Christians were providing a vital ministry to the city of Thyatira as they worked for the Lord. This is a positive statement. Number two, he says, I know your charity. And you know from the Greek that the, the English word that we use more than charity is the word love. I know your love. And this church is called a loving church. The reason they love is because Jesus Christ is still among them. When the Lord is absent from the body we call the church, then absolutely the church cannot be the the people of God that he wants us and created us to be. We have to have that same self-giving, sacrificial love that he has for us. So Jesus says, I know your love. The third point in the letter, I know thy service. Now, this church in Thyatira must have been people-oriented, serving others in Jesus' name, serving outside of the walls of the church at Thyatira, serving outside of its own congregation. That's another mark of a congregation of the Lord Jesus. We don't just look at ourselves But service is one of those marks of the congregation that we're always looking outwardly, seeing how we're to serve the world as the church body. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, true service is the true credential of our faith. Number four, uh, the fourth commendation, I know thy faith. Uh, These Christians are still seeking the Lord's authority and his leadership faithfully. And true faith in the Savior is the mainspring that turns the hands of love and of service. You must have faith as the church. We have to know that our Lord is with us, that he guides us, that he leads us on. 
The fifth commendation, Jesus says, I know thy patience. You know, sometimes even in faithful ministry, results can come slowly. Doesn't always mean that things are going to roll so quickly. In fact, Pastor Clyde and I have talked a number of times. Uh, I was here as pastor about seven years before the church really began to show growth. Now, there was a lot of growth happening in those seven years, but physically the church began to grow after a point. So it wasn't something that we could see, and yet growth was indeed coming. So growth sometimes can come slowly. Sometimes the results are slow. You know, there are sometimes missionaries who come back from the field and they say that though I've experienced working in this area of the world for years, that I, I was there for so long before my first person came to the Lord Jesus as Savior. Sometimes results can be slow, but that does not mean that blessing is not there. Amen? That does not mean that the Lord is not leading, guiding, and empowering that ministry. So Jesus is rewarding their patience. Even when the results look slow, the Lord re re uh, rewards patience. The sixth commendation. And this is the greatest commendation to the church. Jesus says, I know thy works, and the last to be more than the first. So they're growing. Their service and their love is growing. Uh, I pray that if the Lord Jesus could speak verbally to Clifford Baptist Church tonight, or would speak verbally to Clifford Baptist Church tonight, the words we would hear are, you're growing in your ministry. You're growing in taking the love of Christ into the world. That's, that's the greatest commendation from the Lord, is that we're growing. We, we haven't reached the pinnacle, but we're growing in what it means to be ministers of the Lord. The church never stands still. The church is always moving, and we want to always be moving forward. We want our ministry tomorrow to be greater than it was today. So we want to keep that commendation as our standard that ministry here becomes more fruitful as the years go by, that we will be more faithful, that we will follow the Lord more deeply day by day. So in one verse, Jesus points out Thyatira's good points, uh, six of them. But with verse 20, he jumps into condemnation that he must bring to this church. For though there are good things happening in the church, there is something that is a cancer in this church, and they are in trouble. If something's not done here, this church is going to be in dire, dire trouble. Jesus introduces what I might call the bad banana principle. I remember Sonny Taylor's dad, and years ago, uh, I was visiting with Sonny's dad, who worked for the railroad uh, for years and years. Uh, I think almost 50 years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and Mr. Taylor told me something that uh, didn't surprise me so much, but it was great to hear it from him. He said that entire railroad cars would come through Gladstone loaded with bananas. And he said, we had a job. When those cars came through Gladstone loaded with bananas, we had to scan them for the one bad banana. Because one bad banana could ruin a whole box load, box car load of bananas. 
So Mr. Taylor said, you have to scan those cars for the one bad banana because the whole car load could go bad. So with that, we think about people within the church. Let one person rise to power, teach off base, get the church off on incorrect doctrine. Let one person be accepted in the church and that person's life is a life of immorality or ungodly conduct and the whole church can be in trouble because of the one bad banana in the bunch. And that's the principle that Jesus is talking about here. Such was the case in Thyatira. Look at verse 20 again. Chapter 2, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to secure my servants to commit, uh, I'm sorry, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Jezebel, I'm sure if you're a student of God's word, that name rings a bell with you. In 1 Kings chapter 21, there was an ungodly woman in Israel named Jezebel, and she influenced the Jews into immorality and idolatry. And Jesus says, now in the modern day, there is a modern-day Jezebel in this church in Thyatira. She was a lost woman who had lied and paraded as a Christian prophetess. She pretended to be a teacher of God's Word, and she was teaching that God himself permitted immorality among the people of God, that he permitted promiscuity, and she herself practiced it. And she had gotten a foothold as a teacher in the church. She taught the acceptability of being a, a Christian and mixing idolatry into your life, talking about eating the, those things which were sacrificed to idols. So you can mix idolatry into your Christian life. You can mix immorality into your Christian life, and it will all be under the approval of God Almighty. And the sad truth is, according to this letter, she was respected enough that the church allowed her to teach this trash in the midst of their church family. Now, look at chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So Jesus had patiently and persistently called this woman to repentance of this terrible sin of leading people astray in the true gospel message. But she had refused to repent. She had refused to make that U-turn and come back to the Lord in repentance and in salvation. This was an unsaved woman. She was not a saved woman who was practicing immorality. She was lost because Jesus says she's going to hell. So she had never come to him as Lord and Savior. She was a lost woman who pridefully and deceitfully turned away from Christ and led this church into living those lies. And Jesus says, I'm going to cast her into an eternal sickbed, which is the second death in hell. 
If you remember, for the lost person, you die once a physical death, but the second death is a death in hell forever and ever and ever. And the Lord says, and those who followed her and those who reject Jesus because of her will also follow her right into hell as well. But now listen, don't, don't overlook six very important words of, of verse 22. Except they repent of their deeds. As long as there is breath in the lungs... As long as there is a heartbeat, the Lord Jesus Christ allows U-turns. Even when we get way off the track, even when we live a life of terrible sin and lostness before him, yet if repentance comes and that person truly comes to Christ as Lord and Savior, then indeed he will receive any who come, any who repent. No matter what a person may have done, if he or she will come to the Lord Jesus as Savior in repentance and in sorrow for their sin, no one can live a life that is so far removed that they're outside of Jesus' reach. He can save a life. He can save a soul no matter how far away that soul might be from him. Now, we will not know until we get to the other side what happened to this lost church member and, and these folks who lived in Thyatira. But if she never came to Jesus... Woe be unto her. Hell is a terrible place for the lost, but I believe that hell will even be worse for those who influenced others to follow them there. Does that make sense? I believe that hell will be worse for some than others. Woe to lost parents who don't teach Jesus to their children. I think that is such a sad way to bring our children up, not teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at verses 24 through 27. But unto you I say, now, now we're starting something new. Here's a new thought. This is away from Jezebel and away from that uh, issue. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast until I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Jesus says there are indeed some pure people some committed Christians who are living for him in this church in Thyatira. They've not been duped into a false lifestyle by this teacher. And so he tells them, you hold fast to your faith. You hold fast to your lifestyle. They are overcomers who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 27 is a quote. And the quote comes from Psalms chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The good shepherd will eternally rule over and protect his flock from any harm. He will destroy those who are against him. And according to verse 28, we will always have the morning star. He, uh, we learn from Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, 2 Peter uh, 
verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, that Jesus himself is the morning star. He will in, eternally shepherd and lead his people in holy light. And that is a thumbnail sketch through the letter of Thyatira. Now, what do we learn from this church that existed so many years ago? This letter reminds us that this very day, the Lord Jesus is searching Clifford Baptist Church for our purity of heart. He is searching us for the purity of our faith. The Lord wants tomorrow's ministry from this church to be greater than today's ministry. He wants us to be on guard that everything that is taught here be absolutely in square with the Word of God, building up the name of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be on guard that no shred of false teaching ever take place within his people of God here. If one person gets off track, if one person starts teaching false doctrine, leading the church away from the truth, it endangers and it compromises the entire ministry that the Lord has built in this place. So every one of us, not just pastors, not just deacons, but every one of us has that holy desire that we're going to live in a way that brings honor to the Lord in obedience to him and obedience to his word. We are committing to do our ministry with proper respect to our brothers and sisters. I think about all these children that we see going through the halls of Clifford Baptist Church and gathering here and going to Shining Lights and King Jesus Kids and the great responsibility that we have to teach them the unvarnished truths of God's Word. When we teach our young people who right now are living in a society that's saying it's okay to live together. It's okay for whoever wants to marry whoever that's okay. And of course, you know that uh, we just read today, and it broke Gwen's heart, Maryland has now passed uh, homosexual marriage. And so what we're seeing is our young people are living in the world, but we must teach them not to live of the world. That is a holy charge. If we fail in that charge to our babies and our children and our teenagers, our young families, and those who are growing in Christ, the Lord's eyes are searching us, and he wants us to get back on track with him. The core of our message, according to this word of God, never changes. And we're to work together to take it into this world where there are people who are dying out there. But every person within this ministry, every one of us, is accountable to God uh, to be true to his word. So tonight, our commitment must be that we're going to seek to serve the Lord together as people of God, united in heart and united under this word of God. And, and I'm a firm believer that if the Lord calls us to ministry, whatever that ministry might be, that we are to affirm it and we're to work toward it. Now, not all of us have the time or the schedule or the ability to work in that little good news club at Central Elementary School, but you need to pray for that ministry. If you can't be there, you need to pray for that ministry on Mondays as we're reaching out with the good news of Jesus to those children. We need to pray for our King Jesus kids and our shining lights 
that those who are working with them stay true to the word as we're raising our children under the grace of God. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for our RAs and our GAs who are meeting here this very minute. We need to pray for our young people and stand behind those ministries. How important it is that whatever ministry the Lord gives us, that we're on board as a congregation and individuals that we're going to support what the Lord God is doing in this place. So tonight, our desire together is that we're going to serve the Lord and that day by day, his greatest commendation to this church is that your ministry of yesterday is not as great as it is today. Tomorrow's will be greater. Our prayer together, as we work together as a church, is that our ministry will continue to grow and grow day by day so that we will have that same commendation that the Lord gave to the church at Thyatira. The greatest invitation of all, if there's one person in this sanctuary or perhaps there may be some person who will listen to this tape about the church at Thyatira, one person who has never come to the Lord Jesus as Savior, the best news of this letter is that God indeed allows U-turns. And there's nothing in our life that if we come to him in true repentance and sorrow for sin, there's nothing in our life that can take us out of his reach. He will save whoever comes, whosoever will, can know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was true in Thyatira, and it's true at Clifford Baptist Church. Praise God. We carry that precious good news.